You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, everyone else. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord? How, how many of you are glad you woke up in your right mind? How many of you did not wake up in your right mind? I knew there was a few out there. Amen. It's so good to be here with all of you. I know you're super busy. I know the traffic is, is getting toward that holiday crazy where we all need an act of grace just to get where we're going. But I have good news for you, and that's it's all going to be okay. Uh, God's on the throne. We're going to make it through all of the holidays, and it's going to be all right because I read the back of the book, and the Lord says we win. And so I'm standing right upon the promises of God, and... Excited for what the Lord is doing. There's so many, so many stories and testimonies all the time uh, are, are coming to us of good things that the Lord is doing. Not all of the testimonies are the kind of thing that is a, uh, how shall we say, you know, like a glamour thing. Some of it is just the consistent goodness of God opening doors, providing for our needs, giving us right opportunities at right times. I want you to know so much of serving God is just standing in the assurance that I'm not doing this by myself, but God is on my side. Amen, somebody? Real quick, want to make you aware, uh, next week, of course, is Thanksgiving, and it also on our schedule falls out as uh, last Wednesday, where our groups meet. You need to check with your group to find out what schedule they will be on. Most of them will be on a Tuesday night schedule if they are meeting rather than a Wednesday night. However, they all of them uh, work out according to the schedule of the people involved, so you need to check with that. Um, We will, however, be having the groups that want to have that. We'll be having a last Wednesday group. Um, If you are in town uh, and you you don't have a place to go, I would like you to reach out to one of our pastors. You get to pick which one you reach out to. Just send them a text and say, do you know of anything going on in the Charlotte area? Um, And one of our pastors will instantly uh, turn into a intra-church adoption agency. Because we don't want you to do the holidays by yourself. You were not created to do life alone. Can I have a big amen? And we have too many amazing cooks filled with the love of God who would love to have you come and be a part of their celebration. And they would just take you right in. I don't want anyone feeling alone. Just pick the nicest of the pastoral team and say, I need to be adopted. And I promise you, you will see the heavens opened as they begin to see where you live and who's having something down there. We want not only to serve you, but we want you to have a sense that we want to serve you. How many of you know that? It's kind of like, it's kind of like the difference between your wife making you a cake and wanting to make you a cake. That's the difference in the first and the second year of marriage. Anyway, moving along. (laughs) Praise the Lord, somebody. All right, so tonight I am talking about 
this subject, this theme, simply entitled Here and Now. Here and Now. So as always, or mostly always, the notes are available on the church website. Just click on Bible study notes and you will have the notes I am teaching from. I have one verse of scripture I want you to uh, consider with me. So since it's our habit, let's stand together and we're going to read John chapter number 15 and at verse number 11. And there is Today, when I was looking at this, I kept finding things I wanted to teach, things I wanted to preach. Um, sometimes, I, sometime I would like to do a, a series on uh, John's account of the upper room conversations that happened in the upper room. John's account is very unique. And today, I just I kept stumbling one thing on another, and it was like an embarrassment of riches. There's just so much there. So we're just going to pick one verse, uh, verse number 11. These things, this is Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you that your joy may be full. All right? My joy remain in you that your joy will be full. Let me say it this way. If you don't have a source of supernatural joy in your life, there will not be much joyfulness. If you don't have something beyond the boundaries of your own self, being, etc., etc. If you don't have something that connects you to an eternal source, it's going to be very difficult for your joy to be full. So Jesus says, my joy will remain in you that your joy may be full. So teaching here and now, fist bump your neighbor, say good to see you tonight, no sleeping allowed on this row. couple of things to start off with. These are, shall we say, uh, somewhat obvious, something that you would immediately think about um, if you applied your mind at all to these subjects. And that, first of all, would simply be this. The final testimony of, uh, that we offer to the world, the final testimony after everything is said and done is the actual life that we lived. That becomes the final testimony that we offer. And so, Uh, Although we, all of us, hopefully I should say, have some convictions in our life, some things that we do not do, one of the most healthy things you can do in your your own life is to develop spiritual boundaries uh, that you live by. Um, You should not stumble from one interest to one distraction. You should have some spiritual intentions and you should have some spiritual boundaries uh, in your life. Uh, But I want you to be reminded that the final testimony you give will not be your your sense of religious strictness. Now, you need boundaries or you're not really going to, to, to make much spiritual progress against the flesh. The flesh that you live in will have dominion and it will be stronger than the desire in your life for the spirit. Um, spiritual boundaries, we'll talk about this more in just, just in a moment. Spiritual boundaries are necessary for the spirit to win over the flesh. Can I have a big amen from somebody? Uh, So these things are important and good, but at the end of the day, our religious strictness is not the final testimony. Not even our theological stances 
but truthfully, the actual life that we lived. So let me say it this way. People that you know, the friends and family that are in your life, the friends and family that you're going to see next week, the people you're going to spend time with, they actually, <laughs> they know more about us than we like to admit. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, Brother Nathan, you have erred. You have finally committed that unpardonable sin, and now I am done with you. No, I want you to know people in your life, uh, they know a little bit more than we like to admit. So let me say it this way. They know about how miserable we are. The people in your life, your friends, your family, they, over time, they get a sense of just about how miserable you are. Just about how <clears throat> fearful you are. Now, if you're religious, you can get caught out and called out as living fearfully, and then you cover it up with religious-sounding language. Oh, no, I'm just talking. I really am trusting God. Well, you've been crying on my shoulder for six months. And now that I've called you out on the subject, you finally, you know, oh, by the way, no, I was just talking. I was just talking. I didn't mean any of that. People know uh, about how miserable we are. They know about how fearful we are. I would say sometimes we're better at, at, at hiding these things. Some people are better at hiding them than other, others. But if you spend time with people, particularly family and friends, they will figure out just about how content you are, just about how patient you are, um, <laughs> it's dead quiet. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm just killing the service here tonight. But let me just say this seriously. They know more than we often admit that we know or they know. Um, and so what we believers sometimes do is we fall into a practical religious compartmentalization. When we're at church and the preacher's preaching God's able to do it, we jump up like God's able to do it. Then in our life, when it needs to be done, we call the preacher like we're afraid God's not willing to do it. Do you see? You see? Now, nothing, nothing wrong with either that. Both of those are true, authentic expressions of what it means to be human, to have uncertainty in your life, to be afraid about things. I get that. I understand that. I'm not being harsh, but I'm telling you, faith can shout about rain and then leave the umbrella in the car. We must be aware at the end of the day that it's not what we say that becomes our final testimony. It is the actions of our life. Our lives become our final apologetic, as a philosopher once said, or the final testimony that we give to the world in which we are, we are placed. And here is Jesus saying, I am going to give you my joy so you can have joy. So let me just say this really quickly. Um, as Christians, we spend a lot of time talking about there and then. Someday, every tear will be wiped from my eyes. Someday, this old painful back is going to be finally corrected for the last time. Someday, I'm going to live on a mansion on a hill, and the devil that's been bothering me, he's going to have to polish my shoes in Jesus' name. Now, I don't have any Bible for that, but the Bible says, say those things that are not as though they are. So that sucker is going to be polishing all my shoes every day. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about there and then, and the work is in the here and now. We spend a lot of time idealizing there and then, and your calling is in the here.
here and now. We talk a lot of times about, you know, the, the, the tree, the leaves of whom are for the, the healing of the nations. That's in the there and then. But in the here and now, we are the peacemakers. Am I making any sense right here? And so I'm just as susceptible to this as any of you. And so let me, as I try to do, make confession that I can be very guilty, more guilty than the average preacher of preaching God is able and going home and right before I fall asleep, catch myself being afraid that maybe the Lord this time is going to leave me hanging. And so I want to acknowledge to you that we have this tremendous spiritual opportunity and that is... To manifest joy, not in the there and then. It's going to be easy in the there and then. But to manifest joy in the, say it with me, the here and now. We know we're going to have victory in the there and then. But the testimony is having victory in the, say it with me, here and now. I know God is going to win the final battle. But it's actually more than that. He's going to win this battle too. And I want someone to wake up to the fact that it's not enough for you to say, someday I'm going to have joy. No, you should have joy right now. Why? Because Jesus gave you his joy. He paid the price at Calvary that he might give you his joy. That your literal being might become the tabernacle of his presence. So, how are you doing in the here and now? Oh, not many amens on that one. I totally understand. This is the challenge. So um, I'm going to Louisiana for Thanksgiving, which I'm excited about because I'm eating everything. Um, everything. The, the best thing about Louisiana is the food and the people. Uh, after, other than that, you can do without the ditches and the mosquitoes, just so you know. But the food and the people, awesome. I went down there, stole one of their girls, and they were uh, happy to have me. They said that I, I was, you know, accepted down there because I liked the food. Now, if I wouldn't have liked the food, it would have been sketchy at best. Um, but uh, so I've, this week I was practicing my, my Boudreaux jokes. Boudreaux is um, a Cajun character who is always doing crazy stuff. Everybody knows Cajuns are crazy. Everybody knows. Um, there are 24 reality TV shows about crazy Cajuns. Most groups don't even have a reality TV show. Cajuns have 24 that's all you need to know. Enough said right there. Uh, so uh, Boudreaux is on the bayou. He's fishing with his buddy Thibodeau. And um, Thibodeau looks over at Boudreaux and he says, sees how down he is. He's just depressed. He's just kind of, he bummed out. And he finally, Thibodeau says, all right, Boudreaux, what, 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 what's wrong? You, you, you got to tell me. And so Boudreaux says, well, me and Marie, we had a big fight. And she told me she wasn't going to talk to me for a month. His friend Thibodeau said, well, Boudreaux, that should make you really happy. Boudreaux says, yeah, I've been happy, but the month is over today. <laughs> so that really blessed some of you guys. I mean, I, it's just like you were down here and then you were instantly right up here. <laughs> what am I talking about? It, I'm telling you, the hope that is within us fails when it's delivered from the mouth of a miserable person. 
The joy that is celebrated through the cross falls flat when it is offered from the mouth of a miserable person. Hear me when I say with all kindness to you and to me, we can't be miserable people and then say to the world, oh, by the way, Jesus loves you. It doesn't work. It falls flat. We can't be angry people and then say to the world, oh, by the way, guys, the Lord loves you. It doesn't work. They roll their eyes and they turn away. I want someone to make a commitment that you will have spiritual renewal in the here and now. That you will have joy unspeakable in the here and now. That you will elevate your heart in the here and now. Why? Not because you have done it, but because Christ has done it for you. He's given you his joy. So, most of you know, if, you, if you're technical at all, you know that you can go on to um, uh, Google and you can enter a search and if you have suggestions turned on it will make suggested searches for you and you can I did this today and you uh, log on there and you start a question and then it will compare all the algorithm through its algorithm and all its servers all over the world millions of servers and it will make suggested searches based on the most common searches so I typed in today uh, this question why are Christians so And I stopped and waited for the search engine to survey the most commonly asked questions of Google. Why are Christians so? And I just waited for the most common searches to be populated. And this is what came up. And so I'll share it for your listening pleasure. Number one, first most common search ask of Google. Why are Christians so angry? Second most common question, why are Christians so hypocritical? Why are Christians so judgmental? Fourth, why are Christians so unchristian? Fifth most asked one, why are Christians most so or why are Christians so negative? Here's the thing guys, we can do better. Now, obviously, we cannot take responsibility for the whole uh, place of Christendom and the whole culture that's developed in uh, society. Uh, So I'm not trying to do that, but I'm saying we can be honest about the fact that a lot of times the so-called joy that we are offering to other people is not very convincing because in the here and now, we're allowing ourselves to be just as angry, just as uh, uh, bitter, just as disappointed just as unsatisfied as anyone else but we have this grand claim and this claim says Jesus can change your life but don't look at us what are you looking at Jesus can change your life but don't you cut me off in traffic Jesus can change your life but you understand what I'm saying now the temptation for the church is different it's not that Christians are tr- I, I, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be uh, uh, generous here uh, it's not so much that Christians are waking up trying to be um, you know uh, dismissive angry hypocritical that's not what they're trying for uh, they're trapped in the same cycle that everyone else is trapped in and they are not being given a joy that is outside this world on listen when we sing the song only Jesus will satisfy your heart it's more than a song it is for us systematic theology 
But if we then live as though our happiness depends on what we have, what we have attained, what we have accomplished, the witness falls flat. It will not mean, it doesn't matter if we meant well, it doesn't matter if we tried hard, no one believes. So uh, this quote from Gandhi uh, is particularly uh, timely in regards to this subject. He said this, this is Gandhi, the famous uh, Indian leader, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. <laughs> your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Wow. So how do we fall into miserable Christian ex- uh, existences? I, I, I've put in your notes here, and I don't have time to spend much depth on any one of these, but these, I, this is just free association uh, in my study and in my prayer, um, in my uh, that makes me look really good. But also while I'm driving around and also when I'm trying to get my kids to get in the bathtub and also when I, yeah, you get the time, it just, my, my thought process is working on this subject. Um, I, I think uh, the most common reason for people to live a miserable life is number one, they fall into, well, let me restate that. The most common reason for Christians to live a, a miserable Christian life is they fall into the error of thinking that they can earn their salvation. And if they're good enough, then God will love them. And if they are good enough, then God will save them. Why is this so uh, death, so so much death to our joy? Here's the reason why. Um, there is an image in... Um, uh, history. It's of the Greek uh, inheritance of the Greek mythologies of Sisyphus and his eternal curse to push a boulder up a hill. And when he gets to the top, he labors and he strains, he strains and he labors. And he gets to the top of the hill, but there is no safe place for his accomplishment. I want you to notice this. There's no safe place for what he has finally attained. And as soon as it gets to the top, it rolls back down because there was no stability to what he had accomplished. This actually is a more insightful image to human accomplishment than a lot of times we give it credit for. No matter what you accomplish of a temporal nature, it is always bound in the very fact it is temporal. Whatever you did last year, well, that was last year. And as the teenager said, what have you done for me lately? So I want you I want you to see that that to try to earn your salvation means you never have a sense of spiritual safety and you are serving God as a slave or a servant but not as a son or a daughter. A slave or a servant always has his or her place threatened when they do not perform. A son or a daughter may not def- perform, but they, aren't, they don't have their place threatened. You don't say to your kid, bad report card, you are no longer my son. Well, I mean, you might be teasing. You know, I told my son that last week. I said, look, you better straighten up. I'll send you to China. You'll be making my next iPhone. And you know what he said to me? Whatever, Dad. (laughs) 
Um, you do not take away a place that a son or a daughter has. They may be a good son or a bad son, a good daughter or a bad daughter, but you do not take away their place because they are your child. This is not the same thing as once saved, always saved. I don't have time to get into the particulars of it, but there is a place of knowing that the Lord, the one who began a good work in you, is able to finish that good work and to live with a sense of confidence and a sense of spiritual assuredness that you are not always trying to maybe be good enough to get in. That is a miserable way to serve the Lord. I want you to know, he has paid the price of your redemption and he has covered you with his blood. He has not tried to get you to improve your blood. That is an act of love you make in response to what he has done for you. It, if you did improve it, would not be good enough to save you. The salvation is the work God has accomplished for you. Can I have a big amen in the house? All right, so the second thing that I think is the reason why uh, Christians fall into this habit of claiming joy but living in, 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 in misery or irritation or impatience. Uh, this one is a big one, but I think it's real. You're not going to be excited about hearing it. Um, we get in the habit of neglecting spiritual disciplines. And then we wonder why we can't see life through spiritual perspectives. The joy that's a promise to you is the result of you spending time in his presence. You cannot do that without spiritual disciplines. Now, I'm glad your grandma had a prayer life. That was awesome. God bless her. I'm glad your granddad was strong on the doctrine. God bless him. But if you don't have spiritual disciplines in your life, it's going to be essentially impossible for you to see things with a spiritual perspective. Now, this isn't personal. This doesn't mean you're good, bad. It's just a fact. If you do not have spiritual disciplines in your life, if you don't set aside time for prayer, you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, start with setting aside some spiritual quiet time, and you'll find prayer easy. But never make any place for spiritual quiet time in your life, and you'll find prayer almost impossible. Does that make sense? And so I want you to understand the, the foundational necessity of spiritual disciplines. I live in a carnal body. I have a carnal mind. It's not just me. The Apostle Paul had a carnal mind. He said he was the worst sinner of anybody. He had to make place for God. He had to have victory over the carnal man. How do you do that? Time in his presence. Seeking his face. Learning his word. Disciplining the carnal heart within through fasting. Through prayer prayer, through Bible study. Man, that's some fine preaching. You just should just keep going there and take your time very much. Uh, th so that's number two. Now, I've got my numbers messed up in the notes. If you have those, just give me a pass on that and no, don't think too badly of me in your heart. Um, the third thing is this. Um, if you want to live a, spiritual, a spirit spiritually miserable life, fall into the habit of living selfishly, where you primarily are your own purpose and your needs are what moves you to the most passionate prayer and your desires are often interchangeable with the manifestation of the heart of God, what you will find is you are not enough. And there will be this seeking suspicion that rather than God using you, you have in some way used God. Uh, if you live selfishly, you will have missed the point that the the kingdom is not simply an expression of self, but the self becomes a tool to express the kingdom. And this is shown over and over and over in the life of Jesus Christ, where he 
lives of himself that others may live. The same idea is shown in the ministry of John the Baptist. I must decrease that he may increase. And so if we are falling into habits of spiritual selfishness, I would say the most common thing we do is that we no longer integrate ourselves into the ministry of the body of Christ we are associated with. We have worked very hard here at First Church, uh, per- particularly because of our Sunday structure, um, to, uh, to have a worship one, work one um, giving. Now, yes, church is a slightly longer, still shorter than some people's church, uh, but it is slightly longer, but it allows you to serve and it allows you to worship. It allows you to receive and it allows you to give. Now, just so you know, the lid here at First Church is not seating. The lid at First Church is parking. On any typical Sunday where, and I, this is something I've been doing metrics on and I figured out I should have did this years ago, forgive me for that, that is a leadership failure. Um, when On a regular 11 o'clock service, when we are just mildly full, there will be no parking spots left. Um, uh, when we have a small Sunday, three Sundays ago we had a small Sunday, there was one parking spot left in the 11 a.m. service. So basically, we've the lid here is not seats. We've done a good job of creating seats. The lid for us is parking. So this past Sunday, you noticed a lot of, almost all of our volunteers, um, we parked down there just to, to, to try to see the difference it would make. So the difference was we had just a mild Sunday, just a solid 11 o'clock service. 9 a.m. was actually uh, on the, uh, very large uh, for the 9 a.m. Uh, Typical. 11, though, was just, just medium at best. And we had, for the first time in years, nine empty parking spots in the parking. So what's good about that? Our, we're not asking inve- our, our visitors to go on a, a Columbia mountain hike <laughs> from down where the alligators live in the swamp. <laughs> One of these days, we're going to write a big, fight, big fat check, and all that's going to be fixed. But until then, I want you to see we are actively seeking to create a culture of service. If you go through first steps on the fourth lesson, we give you a personality test, not because we think your personality test will tell you where to serve, honestly. Uh, you, you just have to try. And if you haven't tried, um, you're missing out because you never know where you're going to fit. Personality test is not a good example. We just do that as a tool to connect people with a place they can start the process of volunteering. Why? Because we never know one another so well as when we serve in the kingdom of God together side by side. And so if you have a... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, a relationship with God that's primarily about receiving, you are like a dead sea in which everything flows into and nothing flows out of. The problem with that is nothing can live there. It kills everything. It's the dead sea. But now the Sea of Galilee, the blessing flows in and the blessing flows out and it's full of life. And so that's the message from the maps. When I was evangelizing, I used to preach a message called the message of the maps. And uh, that was it. You just got it at a discount rate. So uh, living selfishly. The next one, number four, is very much similar to that. Go it alone. Try to have a, a, a walk spiritually without others in your life who also are seeking to walk spiritually. We desperately need each other. 
The first obvious reason is because when one is weak, the other one is often strong. But more than that, sometimes you haven't much faith to speak. And someone else can speak faith for you. How many of you have a testimony in your life of someone else having more faith than you did in a situation and they spoke faith for you? I thank God for every time some of you have been encouragers to me. And many times it's, it's just the act of the Lord. It's just the Lord moving because so often I will get just the right message from somebody right when the enemy is telling me that it's futile, I'm all alone, it's absurd, it's a joke. And then somebody, God will prompt them and they will speak the faith I'm fighting for. And it's just like an uplifting. If you try to earn your salvation, your Christianity is going to be miserable. If you neglect real spiritual disciplines, your Christianity is going to be miserable. If you live selfishly, it's, it's, it's like an oxymoron. It's like saying we're going to have some cold heat. In order to be like Christ, you cannot live selfishly. You have to open your heart, open your mind, open your vision to the needs of others. Number four, try to go it alone. You are not, as I uh, remember preaching years ago, (laughs) you are not an ocean-going vessel. You are meant to be put in the ship of Zion. And the ship is a local congregation where you can integrate your gifts which would not survive alone with other gifts and thus a body of Christ is formed out of our different respective disparate gifts abilities etc etc do not try to go it alone number five uh, get in the habit of comparing yourself one to another this is a sure path to uh, Christian misery the first of all the first reason is you don't know what it feels like to be them the person you think has everything together often is falling apart The person you think is arrogant is often putting on a front because they're hiding something inside. This is such a true reality of life that when we compare ourselves, we set ourselves up for bitterness. In fact, I often have thought that the first step of bitterness is to look at someone else and resent, uh, envy, wish long compare yourself to them it's only a short step from there to uh, bitterness and then number six uh, I haven't messed up in your notes as I said Um, believe that happiness is a destination in your future not a decision or a victory in your present Let me say that again. Uh, Miserable Christians often will fall into the habit of thinking that happiness or victory or joy unspeakable is a destination in their future, not a decision, uh, a a blessing, a gift, a manifestation of God, a celebration of the kingdom of heaven, a demonstration of the power of the cross in their present. And so let me say it this way. I know we have a lot to look forward to in the there and then, but in the here and now, now we need to let the joy of the Lord be manifest in our life. We need to rebuke fear. We need to turn away from unhealthy comparisons. We need to be the first smile in the room. 
And you can do it. You can do it. I said you can do it. This is not something that's impossible. This is attainable. You can fight your fear with gratitude. And if you can get to the first step of gratitude, you'll find the next step from gratitude is praise. And if you can get to praise, the next step from praise is joy. This is not something you are unable to do. You can do this. We need to manifest the victory of the cross in the here and now, not just the there and then. God has promised that he would be with you. There's no need for us to pray and say, Lord, we pray that you would be with us. He's already said he will never leave you or forsake you. So don't be speaking things as though he's not going to do it and you have to beg for him to do it. He's going to be with you. And he's never going to forsake you. So don't put the negativity in the, oh, Lord, we pray you'd be with us. He's going to be with you. Put a smile on your face. Not only that, there's nothing that can come to you that is outside of his review for your ability to overcome and demonstrate the power of the kingdom of heaven in your life. It is not so much the Lord causing it as you living in a universe, a world of actions and reactions and laws and, and the like and health and all of it. It's not a personal God trying to hurt you. No, it is the manifestation of your love for what God has done for you that you live a life of testimony and joy in spite of the circumstances of your life. And so I want you to see that he's going to be with you. He has already won the most important victories in your life. Everything else is just distraction. The big stuff is already won. Not only that, he, his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Doesn't matter if you got it wrong yesterday. If you have a heart that will turn itself toward God, his mercy endures forever. There's no reason, Pastor Nathan, for you to allow yourself to be miserable. There's no reason, Brother Anthony, for you to allow yourself to be miserable. Who else can I preach to? Adam, there's no reason for... You're never miserable. I'm skipping you. I want you guys all to see, I am not asking you to do something that is somehow strange. This is the will of God concerning you. So I'm almost done, musicians, you can come while I'm knocking over the pulpit here. Um, I'll end with this. Uh, So in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, as you know, and he placed a garden in this earth that he had created. It was a place of order and a place of fellowship. And there in this garden, he placed Adam and Eve, and he called this the garden of what? Eden. He called this the garden of Eden. Have you, have you ever wondered what the term Eden means? Now, some of you have downloaded the notes and you've already skipped ahead and you're, you want to raise your hand like, I know, I know, pick me. No, I will not pick you. Uh, what does Eden mean? Eden means delights. God placed Adam and Eve in a garden of delights. I want you to see this. They were surrounded by the majesty of his creation. It was a garden of delights. In other words, let me say it this way. Adam and Eve are in in a garden that have a thousand trees of yes and only one tree of no. 
It's a garden of delights. And there's only one no in a garden of delights. But there's something about the human heart where we tend to convince ourselves that what we really need is that which what we don't have. doesn't matter how much we have. What we really need is what's something that we don't have. And they convinced themselves that who they were in God and where they had been placed in God was not enough. Their lot in life, we all have a lot in life, was not enough. God wasn't enough. And they had to have the one no that was in the garden. This is a metaphor for the modern heart. Things have not changed. They transgressed in a garden of delights on the one thing that God says, no, that's for me. Did it make them happier? Did their lives get better? How did it go for them? Did it turn out well? They found themselves empty, alone, fearful. And we, dear friends, we inherited their nature. And every one of us is born thinking we need something we don't have so we can finally be happy. My God, that's some fine preaching. I didn't get a single amen here. I'm preaching to me. I'm cutting up, but I'm preaching to me. So, as all preachers do everywhere, that's the nature of the, of the, of the office. But I, I want you to in a garden of delights they convince themselves they would be happy if there was just this one thing and we have the same nature if we and I'll just pick some easy things you know if we could get that retirement house at the beach then we'd be happy a hurricane's going to blow that sucker down anyway you know uh, if, if, if I could get that house on the lake, you wait till the dock rots out and you have to spend $30,000 to put a new dock in. You'll see how that works out for you. If I could get the right job. Look, career is a big part of life. And if you, don't, if you have a job you hate, it's, you're going to suffer. I, that's full disclosure. I'm not soft-soaping it. But I'm telling you, that same job that you thought would make you happy six months later will have you screaming curse words and repenting at the same time. Don't look at me like that. You know who you are. Uh, I want you to see, we haven't inherited their nature. And the natural state of the human heart is this. We are born thinking that if we finally get that which we don't have, then we'll be happy. And Jesus speaks to his disciples. After Judas has already left, his last words to them include this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. Joy is not something you have to purchase. God has purchased it for you and he gives it to you in the here and now, not just the there and then. In the here and now. Let me end with this. C.S. Lewis has this great quote in his book, Mere Christianity. To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you, really, if you have really handed yourself over to Christ, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way. Not doing those, these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. 
not hoping to get heaven, get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because the first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. This is a picture transformation. Okay, so, 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 so here's the thing. Um, heaven's going to be awesome. And all the tears are going to be wiped away. I don't know how. Doesn't honestly doesn't make sense to my frontal cortex at all. I mean, how how I, that's a God thing. We're going to leave that one to God. Uh, I I don't know. I, it's going to be awesome. Peace, order in the earth, restoration of the presence of God. I, I can't even imagine it. When I try it, it just seems crazy. And I just oh Lord, I'm just going to leave you in charge of that. <laughs> this that's going to be great in the there and then, but the testimony of God's victory needs to be manifest in the here and now. The testimony of his love is manifest in the here and now. The faith with which you look at uncertainty in your life is a victory in the here and now. And not only that, it is a victory Christ has won for you to be manifest in the here and now. I give you my joy, Jesus said, that your joy might be full. Let's all stand. Hey, well, why don't you step out of the chair you're in? Let's let's come gather around the front. Uh, just take a moment before we go in our, our many different ways. Let's just take a moment to direct our hearts toward God. In just a moment, we're all going to repent. It's going to start with me. And we're all going to repent, okay? Now, if you haven't done anything wrong, um, you need to repent for thinking you've done nothing wrong. Okay, so if there's anybody here who doesn't think you've done anything wrong, that's what's wrong right there. Can I have an amen from this side of the church? Okay, so we're going to start with repentance. And um, basically, I'm going to phrase my repentance like this. It's going to be some, something along the lines of, Lord, it's so easy for me to fall into the struggle of living life and not manifesting your joy in my life and I'm repenting for that now you phrase it in your way you use your language but we're going to start with repentance all right all across the house Lord Jesus you've been so good to us and you've purchased a victory for us that is beyond our understanding we can't even begin to comprehend the greatness of your victory Lord and before you went away you told your disciples that you would give them your joy that they might have fullness of joy Lord I, I, I confess that I often have failed to to live in your joy I've sought the joy of things. I've sought the joy of possessions. I've sought the joy of entertainment. I've sought the joy of distraction. I've sought joy in so many ways, Lord, that that really were just about me and my personality and my habits and my hobbies. That's really what my seeking of the joy was. And I I, I miss the element of of, of seeing your victory manifest in my life. I, I missed the spiritual component of truly living and walking with your victory in me, uh, recipient of your joy. Would you forgive me for that, Lord Jesus? I, I repent of that. And, and, and Lord Jesus, would you give me the wisdom as, as we go forward, as we, as we continue this journey of faith. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would impart the wisdom to see through the shallowness of temporal joy and see through the emptiness of the joy that comes through possession or the joy that comes through distraction or hobby or interest. Uh, 
the things of this life, Lord. And help me to see the joy of a victory you purchased for me. And then no matter what happens after that, I already can stand in your joy. The victory of the cross manifest in my life that I have become your son. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. As a church, help us to manifest that joy. Not not to fall into the cliche of the unhappy Christian, Lord, or the fearful Christian, Lord. Help us to catch ourselves when we, 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 we slip in that regard and repent of that, Lord Jesus. Turn away from that. See that as the tree of death in our life. See the, 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 the things of this world as the tree of death. They're, they're not going to bring us life. And turn to your promises and be satisfied in the tree of life that you have given to us, Lord Jesus. Your presence gives us life. Your promise gives us life. Your word gives us life. We are the recipients of a life that we could never have unless you gave it to us. And we celebrate today your victory in Jesus' name. In your own way, would you just worship the Lord right now? Just lift your hands, lift your voices. Oh, I bless you, oh God. I praise you for your goodness. I glorify your name. I magnify you. I worship you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.